Good morning, everybody, and welcome to the David and David on Real Estate Podcast. We are on episode 99. My goodness, what episode away from a very milestone number. You know, I, I have a lot of fun recording these uh, with, with you, David, and I'm learning a lot as we go through this as well. So this has been great, and I th hope everybody listening is enjoying these as much as we enjoy making them. But uh, today, we, we have an awesome episode prepared for you guys, because we're going to be talking about something that uh, we deal with every day on the brokerage side, which is our trust uh, account and the deposits going in into it. Um, and we have uh, a little bit of a issue to discuss between David Corman and I as it relates to their trust account. So we're going to dive into this and peel back some layers. Yeah. So 99. So what's the, what's the most famous 99 that you can think of? Like the first thing comes in, this is our, our Gretzky episode. Gretzky. Absolutely. It's our, our Gretzky episode. So we better make it a good one. No, and, we have to uh, make it a great one. It's got to be the greatest ever, right? <laughs> So, no, no pressure, David. No, pr and here we are talking about trust deposits. Like, uh, you know, I bet you a lot of listeners are like, "Oh my God, why are we talking about this?" But, you know, this this is important because, um, you know, we talked about the stability and the trust that we're creating in our system, and and trust accounts play a big part of that. You have a trust account. We maintain a trust account, and trust accounts are sacred. Because trust money is is not money that belongs to the brokerage, is not money that belongs to your your uh, your firm. This is our this is money that is uh, that belongs to our mutual clients, and and there's certain rules and regulations that are gov that are govern the trust account, where you know we have to be held to the strictest and highest standards in how we account and how we maintain our trust accounts. Um, your law firm, I know, does daily reconciliations on on their trust account, uh, which is which is an amazing practice. You have millions of dollars in trust that you guys have to account for. Uh, we do weekly reconciliations in our trust account. Uh, we have three layers of bookkeepers to make sure that they help us uh, maintain uh, proper records. Um, and there's other rules that we're going to be uh, uh, talking about that govern trust account, which adds to the stability and the trust in how we convey real estate and how we buy and sell real estate in this country. Right. And, you know, us in our firm, as a law firm, we're governed by law society regulations and we're subject to audits. And, and there are regular audits in our industry. And you can always expect an audit. You're going to have a random audit for sure within every 10 years at minimum, but we've had it sometimes, you know, a year or two apart and they give you a very little notice. They said, we're coming in next week and we want to see all your files. And sometimes they just pull out random lists of your files and just, I want to see this file, this file, this file, this file. And they just, you know, do audits and your industry are governed, you know, by your RICO obligations and things like that. Same thing. You're subject to audits and you're coming in and, and on what circumstances you're allowed to release the money. And in, in your business, when you're getting a deposit into your trust account, if the transaction closes in the normal course, that money will be used to pay commissions. And then the balance would usually go to a seller. But when the money comes in, you don't know that the transaction is necessarily going to close. And it might be that the buyer's entitled to that money at the end of the day. So you have to be very careful about at what point are you prepared to release the money? 
you need confirmation the transaction closed and you can release, you know, pay commissions and then release the balance to the seller. Or, but what happens, and this is where the issues come up, what happens if the transaction doesn't close? And the seller says, hey, that's my money. That was a deposit, it's forfeit to me. And the buyer says, no, wait a second. I'm entitled to that money back because maybe the seller didn't do something right or, or they're alleging it. So now what do you do, right? You know, what are you waiting for? What do you need in order for you to, to touch that trust money? Yeah, and, and the simple answer is that we need all parties consent to the transaction. So the buyers and the sellers. If there's two buyers, then we need two of the buyer's signature. If there's two sellers, then we need two seller signatures. So in total, we would need four signatures and a letter of direction to the brokerage. Uh, so all parties to the transaction would have to direct the brokerage to um uh, you know, release the uh, funds to a particular person, a law firm, um, you know, a particular party, one of the parties, two of the parties, whatever the consensus is of all the parties that um, are, are party to the transaction. Right. So sometimes, you know, the parties agree that the transaction's dead and it's not going anywhere and they're prepared to sign a mutual release on a standard form that you would use for that and built right into that mutual release will be a direction that they're directing the money goes back to the buyer or maybe the money's gets split or whatever they do but it's usually part of often part of the same document that all parties to the transaction will sign and and built into that is a release for each you know sellers releasing the buyer buyers releasing the seller but they're usually also releasing the agents and the brokerage as well as part of that. But when when the parties aren't necessarily in agreement, but when it's one side saying, hey, I'm, we're not, you weren't able to close, therefore you're in breach and I'm entitled to the deposit monies and we're not, they're not providing with a mutual release, it gets a little more complicated because now you're getting demands by different parties saying, I'm entitled to that money, give it to me. Right. And you, as the holder of the trust, are going to have to be very careful and ensure that everybody's on side in doing that. Right. Absolutely correct. So what, we're, what we have seen a lot is irrevocable directions and offers uh, directing that if something doesn't happen, uh, the transaction doesn't close that the brokerage, you know, directs the funds or uh, to the seller or, or whatever might be written in, in, um, in, in that clause. Um, that's a little bit easier to deal with because you have all four signatures on that piece of paper. However, it gets complicated if we receive a letter from a lawyer representing the buyer saying, hey, we're disputing this because... X, Y, and Z, seller did this, seller did that. So, you know, we're going to court, do not release the funds. Then the brokerage is in a little bit of a predicament because there's four signatures and it's an irrevocable direction. However, now we're getting a lawyer saying, hey, listen, this is going to litigation. So, you know, uh, we're not in agreement with this, even though we've consented to it, something's changed, you know, don't release the funds. So that's a much more difficult situation for the brokerage to uh, to be a part of. Right, and, and the reality is at that point, you're gonna be named as a party in a litigation process, not because they're necessarily coming after you or alleging any impropriety 
on your part, but they need to get an order from a court that's binding on you, that's directing you to give it to party A or give it to party B or to pay the money into court or to do something. So in order to have an order binding upon you, even though the dispute's really between buyer and seller, they have to name your brokerage as a party to the to the action because they need a judge to give an order against you, right? So, and that's okay because at least nobody's alleging that you did something improper, right? That's different if you're being added to a lawsuit where they're saying, hey, you gave the money to the seller and you shouldn't have because we sent you a letter saying, don't do it. So you got to be careful because you don't want to be in that position. No, that's right? not. You better say, hey, I'm prepared to sit on it until someone gets a court order telling me what to do. Yeah. And, and that's a much uh, safer position for the brokerage to take. And, and in reality, it's a safer position to take for both parties because at the end of the day, the brokerage isn't there to act as a judge and jury. Um, we're, we're there to strictly follow the rules and making sure that we protect the money that's in our trust account um, for whoever's behalf that a court determines that the money belongs to at the end of the day. But in that situation, um, if, if we do have an irrevocable direction, David, and we get a letter from a lawyer saying, hey, listen, we disagree with some facts and, and, and you know, we're instructing you to hold the money, um, I would err on the side of caution. But from a legal standpoint, what would you advise you know, me to do in that situation? I would advise you to do exactly what your instincts are to err on the side of caution, to say, I've gotten your book direction. I think I'm entitled to, to comply with that. However, I've now got this letter from a lawyer threatening legal action. Why should you stick your neck out and take a, a risk? As long as they're moving in a timely fashion, they're actually going to court or the parties are going to you know, give them a reasonable time to try and settle it. Because I think your position would be like, if you get this settled, great. If not, I'm prepared to just pay it into court. You know, instead of me holding the trust money up, put it into court and you guys can go and argue over there, but why put you in, in the line of fire where now when someone can make an allegation against you that you, that you acted improperly in the, yes, you had an irrevocable direction, but now you've also got notice before you did anything that that was being disputed in the fact there's something in the facts and now a lawyer is saying, you know, don't do it. So I wouldn't, I would tell you, you're better off not to do it in the face of receiving that letter. Now, if it's just a bald-faced letter and they're not backing it up or they're not doing anything about it, you may have to go to the next step and say, hey, you know, you sent me a letter a week ago, nothing's happening. Are you going to court? Are you, you know, what's happening? Because if not, then maybe you got to take the next step and say, hey, I don't want to be in the middle of this. So maybe I'm going to apply just to, to get this money into court. So I'm out of it. And you guys go to court and figure out who's, who's going to get the money. Okay. But th this, you know, David, I know you and I talked about this. And one of the reasons we want to talk about it today, we had an interesting situation come up on one of our files where we're, we're negotiating an extension term and, and we're on the innocent side of this. It's the other, you know, we're active. The seller buyer couldn't get their mortgage funds together. So one of the, the conditions that we negotiated in the extension was um, that if they don't close on the extension date, we built in an irrevocable direction from the buyer to the brokerage holding the deposit money saying hey, if they don't close the extension date we authorize the brokerage to release the money to the seller as soon as they get a copy of this of this extension letter and and, and that's agreed to it's signed but it was signed the extension letter was signed by the two law firms 
law from the buyer, law from the seller on behalf of their clients. We agreed to all this, these extension terms. There was 10 different terms. One of which is we don't close on the, on the date. We can give this to the brokerage and you have to give the money to the seller. So now they don't close on the extension date. We send this to the, to the broker who's holding the deposit money. And the broker comes back and says, I'm not comfortable releasing the money because the extension letter was signed by the law firms on behalf of their clients. You know, how do I know that the law firms had the authority to act? How do you know that they're still acting? How do I know that the buyer understood and gave proper instructions to the lawyer? How do I know it's not a fraud? And the lawyer raises all these issues to us. And my first inclination was like, screw you. You know, I'm telling you as a lawyer that I'm dealing with another lawyer who's acting for them. And we're allowed to, to extend and negotiate amendments on behalf of our clients. We do it all the time and it's binding on our clients. And now you're saying we can do that, but it's not binding whether we can, we can authorize you to release the money. And then you think of it a little more and it's like, like, okay, if I'm giving advice to that brokerage, what would I be telling him? And I'd probably be agreeing with his position. Why should he be sticking his neck out on the line? and worry about, okay, I gave the money to the buyer and then the buyer comes, I mean, to the seller and the buyer comes back and say, hey, that guy wasn't acting as my lawyer. I didn't understand what he was doing. You should never let the money go and we're suing you because you shouldn't have released the money, right? You wouldn't want to be in that position, David. You know, it's a difficult position, but I think you have to look at who's raising the issues here, right? And um, my question would be, does the injured party are they objecting to this process right are they the ones raising concern or are they in agreement right and i i think you know i i want to be very careful here because i think the relationship that lawyers have with their clients and the ability to bind and and you know we're really talking about uh, a, a deep level of agency law here right and i think that's at the core of the system that you know, we're transacting it. And I think it's really important to protect those values and those precedents that have been built over, you know, hundreds of years where lawyers have the ability to negotiate and to bind their clients into agreement. And it's a great system. Like it's the system's been working really well. You know, you guys are held to a really high standard, right? There are questions that arise out of this without a doubt, you know, whether that law firm has a relationship, whether, you know, they're retained, whether they're acting for, for the buyer. So, I mean, it does pose a lot of questions, but, you know, does the party in breach have an issue with those funds being released? So, you know, maybe, maybe the answer here is to take it one step further and maybe the lawyer that binded his clients into that action now has an obligation to sit down with his clients and explain to them that, Hey, you guys breached these terms and I explained them to you. And now you have to sign this further direction uh, to the brokerage, which authorizes them to release, release the funds. So I, I, you know, I, I think it's a very valid question that this particular um, brokerage raised, but I, I, I you know, I want to be very careful that we don't breach those, important agency principles but at the same time i think it's responsible of them to be asking questions yeah and i i agree with your analysis completely in this and we've taken a hard look at this and 
and and one of the things that you know the brokerage raised you know we were discussing it with him and this wasn't like a, an antagonistic type of conversation it was you know because you know like i've given your brokerage advice i've given other brokerage advice like i'm trying i'm not against brokerage. i'm trying to help them so i'm trying to look at it from their side too and and he raised a good point he said you know what you know and he discussed it with his legal counsel too and he says if your law firm is prepared like we know who you are we know your firm we know your reputation we don't know the buyer's lawyer we don't know his firm his reputation so we're not comfortable but if you provide us with an indemnification for this we're prepared to go along and accept this i'm going okay great let's do it let's get the money and i go wait a second now i'm being asked to stick out my neck what if the what if the buyer's lawyer for the same arguments what if the buyer's lawyer didn't have the authority what if he comes back after the fact that says no i didn't understand what my lawyer signed on my behalf and or i i fired him already he's no longer acting for me like like who knows does it make sense for me to provide that indemnity so when you throw it on you like that you it opens your eyes a little bit and i think that was sort of the right thing to do and like you said david there is another solution for this and that's just to get the buyers to sign a direction themselves instead of through their lawyer it, everybody will be happy gets rid of the issue nobody has to indemnify anybody we just have to go back and get them to sign that direction and if they balk at doing it then they're in breach of their extension terms and we've got all our remedies and legal rights and we can go to court and a judge would probably force them to sign a direction if we had to so it, it really opened our eyes so so now we're, we're revising what we're negotiating in an extension in the first place we're not going to you know we're, we're putting in that clause if we want that those deposit monies released if they default on the extension we they were building in instead of just being their vote direction in the extension letter we're saying that the buyer agrees to sign the direction a copy which is attached to this extension letter and provide it and if we can't get it that day because you know we're, we're up against the clock and you know we're agreeing to extend the following date then we'll build something this is okay you've got to get this direction signed by tomorrow at three o'clock or whatever failing which you know the extension deal falls apart but we're going to get the direction signed directly by the buyer and while we're doing that you know we're going to get the seller to sign it too so we're building in that this can be signed in counterpart and sent electronically but why not get the seller's signature on it and the buyer's direct signatures on it, send it to the brokerage. The broker is not going to have any problem at that point releasing the money. It's a, everybody's going to be happy going forward. David, I feel like we're building our own precedents in, in how we deal with situations, but no, that's, that's actually really smart. And then it alleviates any of the questions and, you know, anybody will sign that direction before the contract is in breach in order to get the extension. But after they've breached, you know, try going back and sitting down and saying, hey, you have no choice. You have to sign this. You're going to lose your deposit. Like it, it's, it's much tougher to get that person to sign that direction because they know that it's, it's a point of no return. It, it's, it's a zero sum game. They're going to lose right. either way. Right? right. And there's no hope. So um, much easier to get them to sign that up ahead of time. Put it in in the file. Hopefully, no breach happens. Hopefully, you never have to use it. But if you do, it again acts as a deterrent. 
you know, it's crystal clear what the repercussions are. It's black and white. They fully know they don't close that that is one of the cases that's, that's going to happen. And I think it just makes uh, and protects everybody in this case, including the brokerage. Yeah. And in this particular case, we were able to get the buyers to sign that direction because the buyers, you know, now did, weren't, didn't close on the extension date. They were negotiating with us for a further extension. So we said, fine, we're prepared to give you that further extension, but you have to sign this direction now, not agreeing that you will sign the direction at some future time, you know, or if you default, we need the direction signed right now. So we have it in hand so we can deliver it on the second extension closing date if you default uh, to them. And that's, and they signed it, you know, they had no problem signing it. But, but like, like I said, we're not even going to do it that way going forward. We're going to just make sure each time we're do doing that, there's a direction that's drafted to the brokerage and it's attached as a schedule to the extension letter itself. So the extension letter can still be signed by the lawyers on behalf of their clients. Like that's still the law that's still binding on the parties. And, and, you know, you know, as long as we're satisfied, the other lawyers, a lawyer in good standing, and they're satisfied that we're a lawyer in good standing, no problem with that. But the direction, there still should be a separate direction in our opinion at this point, you know, because that's what I think you as a broker would want before you're going to let the money go. Yeah. And then there's no questions and it protects all parties and, and it acts as a deterrent to the party that's breaching um, or not fulfilling their obligation. It just, you know, basically tells them, hey, listen, if, if you don't fulfill these obligations, then this is black and white of, of what's happening. So I think it protects and it furthers this whole concept that we're working towards getting this deal done because nobody wants to go the other way. Right. Yeah. And, and that's an important point too, David. You know, we're, you know, we're hoping we don't need the direction. We, we're hoping we don't have to use the direction. We don't want the money. We want to try and help the buyer close their transaction. If there's a way that we can help them close it on reasonable terms, protect a client, that's our number one goal. But if they can't get their act together, and we've exhausted everything. We don't want to wait around. The seller doesn't want to wait around to get that money. We want that money released to them right away because they're actually incurring costs and expenses by the buyer's default. So they need that money. And sometimes they need that money because they're expecting to close on a certain day. They need that money to pay other debts and to pay or to invest in another transaction. Like they need that money. So we want to protect our client. Hopefully the deal closes, but if it doesn't, we want to make sure they, they have a a way to get the money without anybody else putting their neck on the line. Why should you as a brokerage put your neck on the line and take a risk? Why should we be asked as a, as a lawyer to indemnify someone and take a risk? Like this is an issue between buyer and seller. You know, why do we want to inherit their issues as you as a brokerage and, and us as a law firm? That's it's their problem. Let's do our professional jobs, protect them, but protect ourselves at the same time and not put our necks on the line. Absolutely correct. Awesome, everybody. That concludes episode 99. And hopefully it was a great one. I love diving into these legal questions because you it know, has it, to be the greatest one, the Gretzky the one. one. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. We, uh, you know, <laughs> hopefully we'll leave that to our viewers to decide. But any questions? I know we covered a lot of, uh, of of legal concepts in the last three episodes. So any questions, please reach out to David Corman. Reach out to me. We're happy to answer your questions. 
We're happy to connect with you. Uh, we're happy to help you navigate the interstices of, of selling and buying real estate in today's market because there's a lot to consider. Happy selling, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. And next time, we're going to be on the iconic, on the milestone episode of... 100. David and David on real estate, episode 100. Who would have thunk it? Love it. See you guys next time. Thank you. Thanks, David.